Can I start? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I've been in here for quite some time, so I don't know if it's currently raining out there or not, but maybe the rain plus our music will get some people in this building worshiping with us. Um, we're going to play, and we're going to already begin our worship. Feel free to join us, or if there's still conversations that are left to have, feel free to do that as well.
Good morning, everybody. So great to be with you all this morning for our worship service. Um, Folks are probably going to still keep coming in as we're just getting started. Feel free to say hi, but we are going to move on with the rest of our worship service today. Uh, Welcome to San Diego First Church of the Nazarene, where, if you don't know, our mission is right behind me on big glowing letters. It's to lift up Christ, and we hope we can do that through our worship service today as well as as we continue on through the rest of our week. Um, If you, at any point during the service, wish to have some sort of physical and tangible way uh, to to pray and to worship, we invite you to come up and utilize our candle tables at the corners of the room. Um, You can come up and say a prayer and light a candle that can be a physical manifestation and representation of a prayer for yourself or for somebody else in your life. So please feel free to do that at any point during our service. Um, With that, I would like to invite up Dave James to come and read our call to worship. Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Psalm 126. Sorry, I screwed my screen. Okay. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave. Let us stand and begin our worship together through song, singing, and praying. presence of God that is with you, God's spirit flowing through you, giving you life this day.
we come here before you to center our lives around you. Lord, we confess that we have had times where our worship to you has been self-seeking, has been motivated by desires for ourselves rather than desires for the goodness of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning surrounded by our family and our friends, surrounded by your presence this morning, taking you in, that we would center our focus on you. Through all that is going on in our weeks, in our day-to-day -day lives, we take now this moment to breathe in your grace. We take now this moment to fix our thoughts, to center our being and our motives and our desires for you and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh God, be my everything, be my delight. King Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied. Oh God, be my everything, be my delight. King Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied. Lord, we set our eyes on you. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, say that thou art. Thou my best thought by day. want you
This morning, we will be taking a moment just to be thankful for our children here in church, that they are always with us every Sunday morning, singing, clapping. They are honestly my motivation sometimes in some Sundays where I'm like, they are just having the time of their lives. And this is the time where we uh, have an opportunity as a church family to pray over our children as they take the rest of their morning in Sunday school. Bailey, would you pray over our children with us and read through our prayer? This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Shadows burn like a fire. 
trust in you this morning. When tears fall through the night and panic grips my life, I will rest, I will rest in you. When sorrow marks my day, help me not be afraid. I will trust, I will trust in you. And panic grips my life I will rest, I will rest in you When sorrow marks my day Help me not be afraid I will trust, I will trust in you trust in you this morning knowing that your spirit is with us through every circumstance through every season of our lives in Jesus' name we pray, we sing, we hope Amen You may be seated
our Easter jam. Would love for you and your family to be a part of this. That begins at 10.30 uh, and is going to stretch until 12. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And Sunday, Easter Sunday, our own service here in, uh, in Brown Chapel, 10.30. Uh, we will not be having Sunday schools on that Sunday. So if you do come from Sunday school, we will have treats for you. And we can have uh, some time to hang out with those who also stop coming to Sunday school. That's going on. So that is going to be Easter Sunday. We're excited about that. Really looking forward to it. As a part of our preparation for Easter, we have been doing a Seasons of Prayer that has been meeting at 6.30 in the Bose Conference Room. This coming Wednesday, Joe Clemens is going to be guiding us and thinking about and praying through intercessory prayer. Would love for you to join us in on that so that we can learn a little bit more about intercessory prayer. Uh, and then uh, the next week after that, we've got one more after that on the 13th. That will be led by our very own Dr. Michael Lodal, and would love for you to be a part of that as well. We have this Saturday coming up our women's ministry tea. That is going to be uh, at two uh, in the Ellipse Chapel. We'd love for you to know that you're coming to that. Please RSVP uh, if you are coming so that we can prepare all the tables and snacks and whatnot. Please come to PM in uh, the Ellipse Chapel for that. And lastly, uh, we are beginning to form a grief group that uh, Sandy Ishii will be leading us in. And if you have uh, some desire to join this grief group, we'd love for you to uh, tell us about that. You can contact the church office, and we will help connect the dots uh, to you and Sandy Ishii for this grief group. Uh, at this time, I would invite Melinda Martin to read our scripture for this morning. This morning's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, in streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness, in streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. The word of the Lord.
education for an individual who is in great need, and then the follow-up to that was um, tied into what is already taking place but is unfolding over the course of the next couple of months, and that is um, groups of individuals from Ukraine who are coming across the border here in San Diego and the desire to provide some ways by which we can help. There is already in place a wonderful network that is um, kind of providing some of the initial logistics, but so much is unknown. It's one of those things that we need some people to step in, and we don't know all that needs to be done yet. But once again, to be able to respond to those who reached out and say, you bet, this is a church that'll help out in any way we can. Um, you're looking for Russian translators. I think I know some people who can help. You're looking for uh, lodging assistance. Yep, I think we can step into that. You're looking for somebody who can um, just provide temporary place because this first group is going from here to Indiana. Yep, I think we can. I don't know anybody in Indiana, but we can find some way to help get them there. And all I want to say is thank you. You sometimes don't know that you're already involved. I sometimes look at the need and I go, oh my goodness, how can I help? I don't know how to help. And I just want to say you already are by what's been put into place up front. And then secondly, that um, as time passes, to call out to some of you who I know are willing and say, hey, this is a need we have that I thought you might be uniquely ready for or you've already let me know. It's in those moments that I feel it's real easy to reach out and say, hey, can you help? So I just wanted to say thanks. It's a privilege to be in this journey with you. And things like that happen on a regular basis. And sometimes we don't talk about them enough to say that's part of our community of faith is stepping into moments like that. We're going to move into a few moments into a looking at scripture, but I don't want to cut short. There was a moment of hesitation here because I thought Lisa Pagan was maybe going to sing it in this moment, but I might. There she is right there. Lisa, would you come and sing for us? Thank you.
Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Melvis, so much for that. So beautiful. I'm going to invite a couple of my friends to come up and join me up here. We're going to do a little bit um, different approach to our unfolding of Scripture this morning. Um, we did it quite a few times before the pandemic hit, and we uh, did, what, like nine different ways of doing church since then. So we're revisiting this because I always love... Um, allowing scripture to be in dialogue with us as we're in dialogue with each other. And so we're going to jump into two passages of scripture, um, the Isaiah passage that you've heard read, and then the John 12 passage that's part of this morning's readings in a few moments. However, hi. Um, the first thing that I thought might be good is for me to introduce to you my friends that you already know, Stephanie Matthews, Matt Wilson. We're going to dig into this together, but I have also um, been, over the course of the last couple of months, introducing you to each other, though many of you know people that are coming up here to um, be interviewed by me. You don't uh, always know some of their background, and some of you may not know Stephanie at all, so I would love to introduce to you Stephanie Matthews. And Stephanie, um, I can give some history and background, but it's so much more fun to hear it from the person who has it themselves. So just start off by, you know, years ago, where were you raised, your home, where you grew up? Most of us who are aware of your journey here, and if you're not, she works across the street at the school, um, in the School of Religion and yeah, Christian Ministry, is what I said. <laughs> and your specialty is 
Old Testament uh, literature and obviously have some other special interests. But what probably many of us don't know is that you also have this other persona that is your volleyball life. Tell us about your volleyball life. And I ended up playing volleyball in college. I got to travel across the country. I actually did play against Point Loma once. Point Loma won. Um, And yeah, so that was just a wonderful way. One of the things I loved about it was um, I was actually too short to play at a high level, but I happened to be able to have uh, good jumping ability, good air time. Um, And there'd be this amazing moment when I'd kind of jump in the air, and right before you go to actually hit the volleyball, I just felt weightless for a second. And um, it was just this beautiful moment of feeling alive in your body and feeling, to me, connected to God in that moment. It was just kind of a cool thing. I love that a professor of Old Testament is talking about airtime. I just think <laughs> that that is classic. Um, so I think it was in grad school that you met your husband, Cody. Um, where was that? Yeah, so I did uh, grad school in Nashville. Um, if you're not aware, that process can take a full year of writing essays and getting people to kind of vouch for you that you'd be a good student. And so you're waiting. You don't know if you're going to get into the program or not. And so it's kind of a year-long process. And I finally found out, yes, I was going to Nashville, to Vanderbilt. Um, And then at the same time, unbeknownst to me, my husband was getting out of the Army. He was uh, in the military finishing his time. And he was driving from Michigan, where he ended up, back to Florida, where he was from. Stopped in Nashville, because that's a long drive. And just decided, you know what, I don't actually feel like going back to where I came from is the right thing to do right now. So we stayed, he met someone, got a job, got an apartment within a week, and that was his new home, just kind of spur of the moment. Uh, Turned out that we we ended up meeting there playing volleyball. Um, And as it turned out, he had signed his discharge papers from the military the same day that I had been accepted into graduate school. Oh my goodness. Which happened to be Valentine's Day, so there you go. Wow. Okay, and you're dismissed. That was, <laughs> I don't know why you taught that. That's beautiful. Um, one of the things that I'd love to ask um, people is, when did your faith become your own? Like, when did it kind of transition from what it might have been growing up to all of a sudden, oh, this is something that now is, I get it. Is there any mile marker in your journey that kind of is like that? Yeah, so because I grew up in the church the way that I did, um, I, it wasn't ever kind of a moment when my life had that radical shift of making that decision. Mm-hmm. I always actually felt pretty connected to God. Um, I guess I was a spiritual child. I took seriously what happened when we sang. I felt connected to God. Um, so, you know, amongst those kids over there, there might be a great spiritual life that's um, occurring. And so it was just kind of growth uh, throughout my life and continuing to learn and to be curious, and as I learned new things in graduate school, kind of turn back to what I had been given and say, how does this fit in? What goes along there? So there's not really one particular moment that I can add where I said it became my own. It's continually becoming and remaining my own. I love that. I love that. My guess is there are quite a few people that relate to that understanding of their faith journey. 
Well, I want you, I want us to jump into these passages of Scripture. I want you to do so as well. I hope you are paying attention to uh, Isaiah. We'll talk more about it, the passage we're looking at in Isaiah 43, um, verses 16 through 21, and then in John chapter 12. But Matt, kind of give an overview. What are we trying to accomplish here? What's the purpose behind this? Yeah, uh We've done this previously as, as a church before the pandemic, but it's, it's one thing to be by yourself, read the Bible, get, you know, some meaning out of it. It's a whole other thing to put that in conversation with other people. And it's one thing that we want to embody as a, as a church is having these, these texts in conversation with one another. One of the things that we do as a pastoral staff, uh, as, as D prepares and as I prepare to preach, we... Uh, we get our source material from the lectionary, which is a, kind of a, a set of readings each year. And in each lectionary uh, passages, there's four. And you've already heard two of them today in the Psalms passage and the Isaiah passage. And we thought it'd be really fun to kind of put them in conversation with one another, kind of let, uh, pull back the curtain and show kind of what we do when we are preparing to to think and preach and teach on these things. I also think this is a wonderful way just f- so that you and I, Dee, can draft off of Stephanie's brilliance and insight. So that's, <laughs> that's why we're doing it, drafting off of Stephanie. And then an afternoon of volleyball. So, <laughs> so Stephanie, give us a little context of the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 43. Give us some background. All right. So in this part of Isaiah, um, the people of Israel or the Jewish people at this time are in kind of an in-between moment. They've experienced the exile when Jerusalem um, was fallen in battle, a great deal of loss and trauma that was experienced there. There are also some messages of hope. Some will return to that land and rebuild. Others will gain roots where they are, um, living in exile. But that's not really happened in its fullness yet either. And so we're kind of in that in-between moment. So when we read here in Isaiah 43... We're starting out, it sounds kind of like a psalm in some ways to me. We're starting out being reminded of the God who is the powerful one, the God who is in charge of the waters. Um, So again, this can be found in the psalms, but also when we mention the God making a way in the waters, and then we see those chariots um, referenced as well, this reminds us of the Exodus, when God made a way through the waters and saved the Hebrew people from slavery, and they moved out in the next phase of their journey of faith. Um, So it's this God who is great and powerful. But those who would probably be hearing this message from Isaiah, that was not the most recent encounter they had with battle. The most recent encounter they had with battle was when they lost. And so I, I bring that idea when we read verse 18, where God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. This is actually a very unusual thing to be hearing in our Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament again and again, you'll see that God is saying, remember the former things. Remember the things of the past. Tell the new generations how I've been faithful. Tell the story of the Exodus. Remember the things of old. So why on earth is God saying, forget the former things? That's one thing that jumps out to me as we read this. So that's kind of the setup of our passage here. We see in the second half of Isaiah as well, there's this reference to some water and doing new things, but I think we'll get to that in a second. How nice. Yeah, for me, when I read this passage, I think of some conversations that you and I have had around this uh, 
biblical and theological idea of exile. Uh, that this, for the people of Israel, having their city destroyed, walls leveled, their friends and family die of starvation, of warfare, of, uh, of all the things that come with siege warfare and, and destruction and having been taken from their homeland, this, this place that they know as home, this place that is their own, where they, they believe that God dwells, that them as a chosen people, uh, they're, they're exceptional people of God get everything taken and everything lost and, and, and brought to a foreign land in which uh, they may have been forced to be slaves, uh, certainly it, having to learn a whole new language and customs and, and setting up communities in a place that they're not familiar with, right? That's a, that's a trauma that takes place in our scriptures that we don't often talk about, uh, at least not from a, a, a biblical perspective or, or, or it just is a part of our common Christian language, that yeah. of exile. Yeah. I think, though, it, what's fascinating, though, in, in thinking about exile for these people of Israel is, is that uh, not only are they being brought into a foreign land, but they're asking questions of themselves that we ask ourselves. Questions of how could this be? How, how could we have lost everything? How could this have happened to us? We are God's people. It's fascinating that it's this time in exile that uh, a lot of our Old Testament Hebrew Bible is, uh, is either written or edited. Right? The, the whole prophet of Ezekiel is, is written in exile. So many of, of the Torah is edited while in exile. Mm. And so that you can see that they're trying to remember the former things, trying to hold to who they are as a people, and yet they're asking themselves these, these rich, deep, deconstructing questions. And, I, and if we're starting to move towards, like, how can we think about this for our own context? I, man, I think it's kind of on the surface. Like, we over two years, have lost a lot of normal ways, patterns of thinking and doing things in the world via this pandemic. And even the greater kind of Christian understanding of identity and ethics, and some of us might think, like, we, we're Christian. We are exceptional in the world, right? We're God's chosen people, and yet it feels like so much of our patterns of life are now on the out. Right? They're, they're no longer in style or the way that we talk or the language that's being used. So I think broadly as a community, like this, exile is something that we know, but we just don't really want to talk about or, or have some type of rich language for. And I even think, and uh, so personally, I, I work with Dee, who's this great psychologist, and I live with Lindsay, who is a wonderful therapist, so I have to be bringing some psychology to this as well, which is that I think you can even look at this psychologically, the individual, we have parts of us that have undergone traumatic things. Mm. And those parts of us tend to get exiled. We don't want to engage them, and yet they're still present, forcing their way into our 
actions, our way of thinking. And we want to protect those things either from themselves or from other people. And so we act out of that feeling of exile. If we're, if we're not paying attention to it, it, it causes re-traumatization. It causes devastation to other people. So when thinking about this passage, my mind immediately goes to exile and, and how we can have a richer understanding yeah. of this part of our text. Yeah, I, um, I think that one of the pieces we often overlook is the way in which the external experience of exile, oppression, hurt, injury, over time translate into inward expressions of oppression and powerlessness and hurt, that sometimes even once the external things are removed, we still live imprisoned by how we have taken that external experience and, and let it become part of who we are. And, and so this leads me back to what I, again, you already brought it up, Stephanie, but is so curious about this passage, is that in the midst of a... Um, history of remembering where it seems like the people are called to remember over and over again the process of remembering before we go into the promised land don't forget to the new generation um, what's taken place in the past and what we've talked about in this church so often we walk backwards into the future we look back at those ways in which God has provided in the past sometimes we need to be challenged by a startling statement that comes right in the middle of this, forget the things of the past, which is ironic that the voice that's speaking this just rehearsed all the events of the past. It's like, okay, here they are, and I just forget that I said all of that. So I want to just a few more moments of exploration because I think this has real significance for us on how we move forward with hope. I appreciate what you said, Stephanie, that it's not like God is saying don't ever remember the past because we have so much evidence that God says over and over again, remember the past. But this is tagged with I'm doing a new thing. And if we miss the new thing because we're locked into the past, then we've missed what God is at work doing. Is that fit with what you see here as well? Yeah, I think one thing that's helpful is to remember that so much of our scripture is not simply to just be read quietly on a page, but to imagine or be part of a conversation with God. So when I read, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, for one thing, it actually calls to mind a couple of the Psalms in which the psalmist says, I remember the former things. I am considering and dwelling on the things of the past. It's the exact language. And there's songs of lament when someone is saying, I'm remembering how wonderful you were, and I'm also remembering this horrible thing. And wondering, where is God? And so when I get to verse 18, I imagine or hear myself saying, how, God? How do I forget the former things? Those who are perhaps therapists among us will recognize that we don't always have control over that as well. How, God, am I going to forget the former things? How am I not going to consider what happened in the past? And I think, before I rush to some sort of answer for you, I think that question is maybe part of the gospel this morning. Mm. For us yeah. to ask God and one another, how? 
Sometimes we're too quick to try to expect an answer. Jesus is the answer, and if it's not the case, okay, I, maybe I'm not getting it, God. But no, we're like, really? Let's ask God and let's ask each other. How? How do we move on? How do we hold out for hope? There's a beautiful song that I have found very helpful um, through some of the darker moments of my journey, which um, one of the lines is, um, lift up your head, help is on the way. Kind of describing, I think she's describing a friend who maybe has severe depression and can't really get out of bed. And she's just calling out to her friend, just lift up your face. Help is on the way. Mm. And I thought of that a lot. You don't have to create help. You don't have to fix everything. But if I can just get myself into a posture of looking for the help and holding on to it as it comes, looking for where God might be, looking for the streams of water that I didn't produce, just looking. And so maybe this is a bit of a posture that God is calling the people and us to right here. Just consider that help might be on the way. Nice segue into the John passage. Let's, uh, since you haven't heard it, let me bring it to your attention. This is a story that is used in all four Gospels. It's the story of the anointing of Jesus' feet, um, though the actual anointing and how that takes place is a bit different in the different renditions of the Gospel writers. But let me tell you how John depicts this for us. Six days before the Passover, and this is just six days before all the events that take place with the betrayal and the trial and the crucifixion. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived. The fact that Lazarus was living was miraculous, so this, don't miss that line. This is where Lazarus lived and was living, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, the sister of both Martha and Lazarus, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, thief as a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Stephanie, any more context for us in this? Yeah, so the Gospel of John, as we come to it here, we're kind of at a bit of a pivot point. The, the first half of the Gospel of John has lots of that beautiful, flowery language, abstract thinking. Some of us love it. Some of us have a real hard time understanding parts of it. Um, but then the second half of John really spends most of its time working towards the death and then re- the resurrection of Jesus. The language simplifies. Um, and so this passage here is kind of helping turn our attention towards what is to come, the death and the suffering, and then the resurrection again. We get some of those clues as Jesus is perhaps the only one in the room recognizing that this perfume is kind of preparing him for his burial. He knows that death is coming. Perhaps Mary knows that as well. Perhaps that is why she came to bring uh, the fragrance. Perhaps God kind of gave her a sense of what was to come. Perhaps not. Perhaps she brought it out of just gratitude for what God had done what Jesus had done in raising her brother from the dead. Right. 
Um, whatever it was, though, Jesus sees that as pointing towards his death. He's aware of that. But at the same time, as, as Pastor D mentioned, at the very beginning, a character who doesn't play into the rest of this portion of the story is Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead. When we read this together, I was struck by that. Imagine you're at a meal, and the person on the end was raised from the dead. I think that's a very interesting character and person to have at the meal where Jesus is pointing towards his death. And even though his mind is pointing towards suffering and he knows what's to come, there is the power of resurrection there. Can I also say it's very fascinating. We find Jesus as like the person who draws the crowd. But just after this passage, it's pointed out that a whole bunch of people are there because Lazarus was there. And they were curious about seeing him. I find that an interesting contrast to most of the other Jesus stories we have. Matt, what do you see here that catches your attention? Yeah, it's fascinating the, the comparison between Mary and Judas, mm. right? Judas is obviously there while Lazarus is being raised from the dead. He, he's there the entire journey in which the disciples, are, I mean, he's a disciple, so he's with, on the journey. And yet you have Mary, who has had this thing happen to her brother. Obviously, she herself is kind of in a tailspin around he was dead and now he's alive and undergoing the same, I would assume, the same kind of processing that we would if something like that had happened. And she approaches that with, with a, just an immense sense of gratitude. And she comes and and takes this perfume, which highly expensive from a far-off land that would have been very pungent if she used all of it to anoint Jesus' feet. Like, it would have taken up the entire room, and, and yeah, very expensive. It's from a far-off place, and this is something that's precious, that she is just pouring on Christ's feet. And, and where, like, we might just dab, right? He's letting it all go. And, yeah, there you go. Classic. Where's Judas? By the way, fun, like, third-person commentary by John on, like, Judas, you know, the thief who's also in charge of the money bags. Uh, that Judas, his concern is elsewhere. It's not about what's taking place, not the gift that Jesus is receiving, but it's the, the well, hey, hold on. We could have gotten something out of this. We could have done more ministry. We could have, we could have uh, fed more people. There, there is this efficiency and this, uh, what seems like a, a care of, let's get as much out of this gift as possible. And now, obviously, John has his own commentary around, like, well, he's just trying to steal from, from the poor. And so he disguises his care, his, his excuse me, he, just, he disguises his his ill intent as care. He disguises his thieving as like, well, what about the poor, right? And so you have this fun juxtaposition between Mary, who is just abundantly giving all that she has in this very, this huge gift that is going to be with Jesus for the rest of the week, <laughs> most likely. And Judas, who's just concerned about what's next. Like, how we get the most out of this. It, it's, a, it's a mentality of, like, what, what is going to get us to the next point? Like, what is going to be the best for our ministry? When really he's thinking about himself. It's clear that, I, I, 
at least I think it's clear that what is being juxtaposed is, is Mary's abundance with Judas's scarcity. Mm. That, yeah. uh, Mary is giving and offering, and it, it doesn't matter how much this costs. It's, this is for my Savior who. He, she is giving this gift in the face of Christ's death. She knows, I think, she knows, at least from Jesus' words, he's about to be buried. And in the face of this oncoming doom, Mary is abundantly giving. Whereas Judas is like, I got, well, let's keep it all to the center. Like, let's, let's pace things out. What is the efficient way? Yeah. yeah. Which it questions to me, like, okay, how do we think of stewardship? Right? It's a tough thing to answer. We want to be stewards of the gift that God gives us, and yet Mary is praised for her abundance, just living out of the abundance of who God is, what Christ is to her, no matter the cost. John makes his little commentary, and Jesus confronts Judas, leave her alone, and then makes this uh, pretty unsettling statement about the poor. But I think it, at least from my perspective, merits saying that Judas is not wrong. I mean, the, the notion of this could be sold and given to the poor, and it could do some good in that way, is not an, an accurate statement. But it seems to me that this is an example of looking back at how things have done and being caught in the rearview mirror of this is what we do. This is the way in which God works. We have this limited amount, we have resources, and we're trying to make sense of how to dole it out in a way that uh, maybe will be equitable or will work according to the patterns that we've already established. And it feels like the Isaiah passage just takes a leap into this storyline and says, hold it, forget the old way of looking at things I'm doing something new, and this is marking a moment that is transformational. And my heart goes to Judas because he misses what the resources of the kingdom were all about, where Mary understands that the resources of the kingdom are gratitude and generosity and hospitality and kindness, and there's an unlimited source of those things when we're connected to the source of those things, and everything else just becomes a tool or an instrument to give expression to that. But that's a whole new perspective made possible because of what Jesus is doing. Yes, and when you anchor your identity, when you anchor the questions that you have in who Christ is through death and resurrection— the concern for the poor, the concern for those who lack, who don't have, comes out of a different space, out of, yeah. out of a yes. generosity, out of an, a, an understanding of abundance, and not out of, well, we need to scrimp and save so that, we can, so that everyone gets a little amount instead of whatever. Yeah. There, there's not a math there. Is, is like anchoring ourselves in the identity of the generosity of Christ's death and resurrection. Yeah, my contention is that the nard is not the resource of the kingdom. It's the gratitude and generosity that's the resource of the kingdom. 
and what changes inside of us to put us in that kind of posture. Stephanie, you made a comment as we were discussing this passage, and I'm going to throw this at you because I just love to know where it came from, but for me it became the title of this morning, and it is When Hope Needs Help. And you alluded to it when you talked about lifting your head up. You don't have to provide the help, just participate, the hope is coming. But where did that come from? How do you tie that into this, these passages? Yeah, it came to me from both passages. One was the Isaiah passage in which I was kind of perplexed. God, are you just telling people, forget the past, here's hopeful things, and leaving us there? Certainly that's not the God of the fullness of the scriptures that I, I know. So I was kind of looking at the other Psalms as well, and oh, look, we're quoting some of the lament psalms, the songs of worship in which we cry out to God honestly about our pain. Sometimes we need Mm. to lament in order to be able to hope again. We need to be honest about our pain in order to reach out to hope. Sometimes we need a radically new vision, one that we can't yet believe, um, but just a wonderful vision that God can give us about how life could be, not only for ourselves, but for our communities. But then I was also struck again by the figure of Lazarus. What is hopeful in this story? There are several things to me. One is that when someone is trying to be shaming Mary, Jesus says, leave her alone. Mm. That gives me hope. But there's also hope that even when Jesus himself was staring his death in the face, and no one yet kind of really knew what was going on, so he didn't maybe have his friends and his family member there to support him in, in that same way he was looking for, maybe Jesus himself had hope. I don't know if I can say that, but... The character of Lazarus sitting there, Mm. representing life. Look what God can do. There was still suffering, so it's not like we avoid all of our suffering, but sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need to be reminded of this radical nature of what God can do among us in order to be able to hold on to the hope that God has for us. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. This setting in John 12 took place at a dinner table in Jesus' honor. And then, one of the following nights, Jesus participates in what we've come to call the Last Supper, an invitation to join with Christ in some ways in a meal that he's prepared for us. Shockingly, as if we are the guests of honor, in a table prepared by the one who gave himself on our behalf. And so this morning, I invite you to the table of grace. We practice an open communion in that it is for all of those who would want to participate in this kind of hope that needs help. A willingness to say, oh God, help. I need your grace, I need your touch. But you don't need to be a member of this church or this faith tradition. It's open to everyone here this morning. If, on the other hand, you would prefer to um, not partake this morning, that's fine. Just allow um, the music to play and use this as a time of reflection for you. In a few moments, we'll step down three spots here, and when we're in place, Feel free to come forward to take the elements and receive them. Hold on to them so we can partake together.
as a body in community. Let me offer a word of prayer and thanks. Lord God, this morning we long for you to help us move into a posture of gratitude. To be like Mary who all of a sudden what you had done for her and restoring her brother and giving her life as well changed everything, changed her posture, changed her eyesight, moved from remembering the past, which I have no doubt she knew because Lazarus was seated there, but made her realize you're doing something new. So Lord, we thank you for these elements Sanctify them for your purposes that we might be sanctified by your spirit. Lead us into the postures of the kingdom, of gratitude, of generosity, of kindness, of service. The unlimited resources of the kingdom that you've given us to use and to use in new ways. Confessionally, Lord, as well this morning, will you please help us with our hope when it wavers? Much like Moses' arms lifted high over the battle and they eventually got weary, this morning may we not only find others helping us to keep our arms high in hope, but may we help others as they help us so that we become a community of hope. May that be part of what this represents for us this morning, I pray. Amen. and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you. The body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you, Brad. Body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you. Hey, Debbie, take as many as you need. Body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you and all those you come for. Body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you, Annie. Body and blood of our Lord broken and poured out for you, Justin. And for you, Satan. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Hi, Marsha. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Jean, body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Thanks. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. 
body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Take as many as you need, Marty. Body and blood of our Lord, broken out for you and for all those on whose behalf you come. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of you, broken and poured out for you. Don't apologize, you're fine. Good to be with you. <laughs> Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you. Body and blood of our Lord, broken and poured out for you, dude. Good to see you. the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to each one of them. He said, this is my body broken for you. We take in remembrance of our Lord. In a similar fashion, he took the cup, he gave it to each one of them. He said, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant we take in remembrance of our Lord. God, in a very ancient sacrament, that we can look back on and see has been done for generations, for centuries. May this morning it be fresh. May it be something new for us. May it be for us help in our desire to hope. May it you, be you reaching out and saying, see, there is a new thing. You don't live in the faith of your forefathers. You live remembering that, but it needs to be fresh. It needs to be yours. It needs to be part of where your community is now. So Lord, speak to our hearts, individually and collectively. Draw us into the fresh new streams that are unique to our unique needs as you live 
with us, in us, and through us. Lord, we want to be yours. Amen. Stephanie, come and offer a benediction for us. And now may the God who also knows death give you comfort. And may the God who resurrects us to new life once again give us hope. May we be hope to one another. May we find hope we could never have expected.